This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the strategy inside everything. Uh, this definitely feels like deja vu to my guest. Uh, we've already recorded this episode and it was lost somewhere in the mail, I guess is how I would say, uh, or due to my production problems that I have. Um, today, I am joined by the fantastic and generous Claire Atkin, who is a co-founder of Check My Ads. Claire, how are you today? Hey, Adam. I'm great. I'm great. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to have you back, and I'm delighted to have another chance to talk with you for a couple reasons. One, we had such a nice time chatting last time that it's always nice to see a friendly face. But two, a lot has changed even in the past month since I last spoke to you. I don't remember when it was exactly, but you guys have had some victories at Check My Ads that I want to kind of return to after the audience gets to know you a little bit better. So would you please give people a sense of your background uh, and how you uh, kind of met your co-founder and built up to what Check My Ads is today? Yeah, absolutely. Check My Ads is a brand safety consultancy. And what we do is we help advertisers, mostly Fortune 500, like people with big ad spends and also who care a lot about their reputations. We help them stop funding hate speech and disinformation with their ad campaigns. And we end up talking about a bunch of other stuff as well, you know, brand safety fraud and optimization and marketing in general. But brand safety is what gets us through the door because it turns out the ad tech world, the ad tech industry has made it really hard to control where our ads are going. So Nandini and I started Check My Ads a year ago today, a year Hi. ago yesterday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. Nandini is on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. And she somehow managed to send me a cake. It's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, shouldn't, we met. Technically, shouldn't Check My Ads get the cake? It's their birthday. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty funny because it had like a candle with like a one on it and it said, happy birthday, check my ass. Because sometimes when people are like, wait, like what's your name? Yeah, That's what we think we've said. So she just, it was just a big joke. It was great. Anyway, we met a few years ago when Nandini came to my hometown in Vancouver and um, I saw that she was coming on Twitter. We were like Twitter mutuals because, you know, marketing Twitter is a small community. Yeah. And I said, do you need a couch to stay on? And she said, no, I don't know you. And I said, all right, fair enough. She said, but let's go for a walk. And we just clicked. It was amazing because she started Sleeping Giants in 2016. Right. Sleeping Giants is a Twitter and Facebook account that would let advertisers know when their ads were on Breitbart. And she took away like 90% of Breitbart's funding within three months, just by letting advertisers know that they were there. Yeah. That they, that they had been in, included or not blocked out deliberately by advertisers. It was programmatically being marketers budget was being used on Breitbart. Yeah, it was just in the defaults that it would be sent to this alt-right site that was really bigoted and xenophobic and and not brand safe. Like, I like no how you, wanted. you don't have to use past tense when you refer to Breitbart being xenophobic and, and racist. It's still, I think it still is. 
Oh, that's totally true. But in our world, they're like passe because everyone has agreed that they're brand, brand unsafe. So now they block it. Fair enough. So she had had a lot of success with that campaign and it was anonymous for the most part. And then they came out in the New York times. And while she was doing that, I, as a marketer was also worried about the state of our democracy. So as like a good government oriented Canadian, I went to study international election observation and particularly like media observation at the global campus for human rights in Venice. Cause I was like, well, surely the experts would know what to do. And I found that they were doing what they could to follow election disinformation. But it turns out that when you're on a gated social media platform like Facebook um, or even WhatsApp, you can't see the spread of disinformation. So they didn't have the data that they required. Now that has since changed. Facebook is working with election observers around the world, but that's where my head was at. We're both marketers. Both of us had done like side projects where we were like, how do we fix the problem that marketing has created? And then when we met, it was like fireworks. It was like mm. best friends immediately. And when you went to that when you went to learn about that, I think what you told me last time was they asked you, well, what would you do? Oh my God, that is the case. Yeah. They just turned it around on the class. They're like, so we, we like follow Twitter and we try to like capture some tweets, but, but what would you young people who like are more tech conscious, like, what would you do? Can you help us? And that was really eye opening because I realized that like the people who are best equipped to understand election disinformation, mm -hmm. we're being stymied by tech platforms. No one knows the answers because this is a problem that is so big and shapeless and hard to find the front door to attack. Exactly. So as marketers, we just have a unique perspective. Like, you know, if you're an election observer, you're worried about the sharing of information. We realized that marketers were helping to really fan the flames of disinformation, especially election disinformation with our ad spends. We're actually giving money to people who are publishing disinformation and that's not great. A distinction that has stuck with me uh, since you and I have been having conversations that brand safety is the lever that is of interest to companies, that they understand there's already been some dialogue about that. But really you're using that as a way to solve the second problem, which is disinformation and hate speech and its sources of funding and its sources of attention. And how is it possible that that is still getting so much visibility? Those two things are related. They're totally related. And, and they're related from a marketing perspective. Like no marketer that we talk to wants to be anywhere close to that stuff. Our brands are something that we have put a lot of late nights and agonizing and teamwork into to make them sustainable over decades. They are precious. So to have them associated with publishers that are acting in bad faith, that are actively making the world a more dangerous place is not okay. And what's a kind of a garden variety site or piece of content that you see a brand is like Breitbart's a pretty good example because it was not, it was just below the radar. It seemed that it was being shared out pretty frequently and it had, it was, you know, Rush Limbaugh adjacent in its heyday. 
And so it feel, felt like, oh, that's safe until you really click into it and really spend some time reading it. And two clicks later, you're like, wait, well, well, how did I, how did I end up on this content? This isn't, this feels way different from where I thought I was starting. Ahead of the 2016 election, Breitbart was read more than Fox and more than CNN on the, on the, on the web. So, I mean, they were not inconsequential. They were, they were a massive, uh, media operation before the 2016 election and have taken credit for Trump's win. Um, now it's like, oh my God, are there actually hundreds of Breitbarts? And it turns out the answer is yes. So the biggest one right now that researchers are looking at as like the biggest, most popular purveyor of fake news is the Gateway Pundit. Mm -hmm. And they're just... And is it... Because Breitbart had editors of note, you know, names that you know, people that you recognize. Gateway Pundit, to a lesser degree, yes. There, there's personalities that are writing and editing and are visible. But aren't there hundreds of other sites that are more just churn fests of misinformation? I mean, how are you able to spot those and know what's, what's inbounds and what's out of bounds so quickly? Or what's the, maybe it's not quickly, what's the methodology for figuring that out? Oh, that's a great question. So we work with a lot of researchers, like the Global Disinformation Index, NewsGuard is helpful. We take information from Joan Donovan's Media Manipulation Handbook. And what we do is we look for networks of disinformation, and particularly when they're stringing racist tropes as um, together as a sort of overall narrative. So they might hint at different um, you know, racist, xenophobic, or bigoted ideas mm -hmm. or conspiracy theories. And that's when it ends up being dangerous and brand unsafe usually. But I have to say, we are not the arbiters of what is brand unsafe and brand safe. The brands themselves are. So what we do is we actually facilitate conversations where we say, look at this publisher, look through it, evaluate it for journalistic standards versus disinformation and decide for yourselves whether or not that is appropriate for you. We never make decisions on behalf of brands. So uh, this is perfect. Tell me more about the process of working with Check My Ads. If I'm a brand and let's say I am... Um, you know, Fortune 1000 brand, and I have a media budget that is going on broadcast media and digital media. I don't really know what I don't know. I want, I hear the idea of brand safety. I find you, how, what is the process like to engage and what am I, what am I learning and what am I looking for as a brand marketer? So the ultimate goal usually is brand safety guidelines. Sometimes people pull us in for like a one-off workshop. That's great. No worries. Uh, that's like, what are all the things you need to know and the questions that you need to ask when you are understanding brand safety? But when people are pulling us in for uh, a larger engagement where they're like, we really need to fix this, what we're doing is we're slowly designing brand safety guidelines for the brand. So that's like corporate comms, marketing, brand and advertising, all those departments come together and they agree upon the standards for programmatic spend. So what is and is not appropriate use of their brand and of their advertisements within a campaign. And what we do is we help facilitate an understanding of the industry, 
How do we even get here? Why, why are we even dealing with this problem? And how, how often do people not know what we're dealing with? Oh, all the time. I mean, ad tech is obtuse. Yeah. So when you're a corporate comms person, I mean, your job is to fight fires, to constantly understand the social media landscape, the, the news landscape. I mean, we work with companies who have entire librarians who are dedicated to understanding what is happening in the world. Right. So they're getting news feeds every day, like corporate news feeds every day, trying to understand what is happening. And now they have to deal with a whole new type of industry called the brand safety industry. And I mean, it's hard to know what's going on. So we give them a rundown, like, what are are we even dealing with? And then we talk about, you know, the disinformation, what are we looking for when we talk about disinformation, hate speech, like what are, what are the real dangers right now? People are really interested in uh, social media personalities, influencers, like at what point do they become brand unsafe? And we sort of describe a spectrum and then they decide, okay, it's at this point. And, uh, and yeah, we work with like whiteboard software to collaborate on brand safety guidelines. But everything is everything from check my ads is a framework that they can, you know, served as a buffet where a, a brand takes and uses what they want and makes it safe for themselves. You're just helping them decide what's right for them and their brand. Some brands are probably more aggressive and willing to butt up against some of these tense, more tense issues. Some are more conservative and afraid to be near them. And that's just, you're not telling them one way or the other, what's the, what's right content to do. You don't, you don't really care. You just want them to be aware of the choices they're making. Our entire message is you just need better control of your ads and we're here to help you get there. The, the biggest, uh, I don't know, complaint that we've received from like mostly libertarians in Silicon Valley is, oh, who are you to be the arbiters of what is brand safe and what is brand unsafe? And we say, we're not. I mean, right now, the people who are, are the ad exchanges and the brand safety tech companies. Right. But we think actually the marketers should have better control. And where does that take place? You know, where does the brand get to decide and where does the control get, not removed, but the, it sounds like the ad tech industry is driving a lot of this with just the defaults. Mm-hmm. So is it just about introducing those defaults to the brand marketers and saying, hey, this is, if, if you just look at how it's set right now, here's what you get. Here And here's how you have to figure out how to change the default. Totally. I mean, the very first step is not even to think about it in the abstract. It's just to check the ads, like download your site list and take a look. And once folks do that, they're like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Always, every time? We have yet to have someone be like, oh, this is fine. And what is the, <laughs> so the defaults are really op- wide open is what you're telling me. It's wide open or like we had one, we're public about this case study because um, we are allowed to talk about them. Headphones.com is a Canadian company. They sell like $3,000 headphones. Okay. They're like high end and they were working with Critio and Critio uh, was putting them, it was retargeting, which is great. Uh, Really good for, for like direct to consumer e-commerce. Yeah. And in a retargeting model, you do tend to keep 
you want it wide open. You would not restrict it based on content in most cases, because you're saying, oh, these are already people that are engaged. So let me follow them Where, wherever they go. I don't care until <laughs> what did it, what, what made them suddenly care? I'm guessing they found something they didn't like. So I, I knew this guy, he's a, like a friend of a friend. Now he's a friend. Um, his name's Andrew. And I emailed him. I was like, Hey, uh, your ads are on the Epoch times. Like that's a disinformation site. Did you intend that? And he said, no, I had no idea. I said, do you want to check your ads? He said, yeah, let's do it. And what he learned is that not only were he on, was he on a bunch of disinformation sites, but headphones.com was also being advertised on a lot of mobile apps like games, which he thought was inappropriate because people who are playing games on Android apps are not the same people he thought who would be buying really expensive headphones. And then the other thing is that a lot of the websites that he ended up advertising on were in places that he didn't even ship to like Latin America, like, cause he only ships in North America. So he said, this just, this just doesn't make any sense. So he blocked those two things and his ad spent went from $1,200 a day to like $40 a day. Wow. And he had the same results. Like he was still super happy with the results. <laughs> so, <laughs> cause that's the next question is yes. Brand safety. I understand. Um, saving money. I understand. <laughs> But does cutting it back harm you because there is an audience for that crap that is actually buying headphones, high-end headphones in Latin America where you don't ship? Sounds like maybe not. I mean, he was appalled. We saved him like $30,000 a month, which so is 90% of his ad spend. So he wants to high-five you all the time. Yeah, we go for coffee every so often and laugh about it. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm sure he's able to put that money to better use than giving it away um, to terrible websites. So that's kind of the point. Like, how can we best optimize our ad spend so that we can market in much more efficient ways? And that's really what gets Nadini and me excited as marketers. We don't have to just keep automating things. We could actually think about creative ways. Like, even if he gave away a pair of headphones a month, that's still way more affordable. But I want to make sure I'm, because uh, you just said we don't have to keep automating it. And I don't, the problem is not actually the automation. The problem is the controls that are set for the automation. Like, you're, what you're not saying is, Everything has to be painstakingly done by hand, single person buying the, you know, going back to the, the 90s. That's not what you're saying. You are not trying to make it harder. You're trying to make it simpler for people to make better decisions. And for that $30,000 a month to go to a place that is mindfully selected for both the brands, both all three, the brand, the business outcomes, and the media outlet. So if, if you believe that your local newspaper, for example, is worth funding and potentially could drive business, maybe you want to handpick them or make sure they're included in your safe list. 100%. The, the scale and the automation is so useful, so long as you don't set it and forget it. That's why we named our company Check My Hunts. It's like, literally, just take a peek. And know what's going on. Yeah, the call to action is pretty funny. When I <laughs> When I say it out loud. I'm like, I can't believe it's such a simple name. It's just telling you what to do. Technically, nobody needs to be hired for you to do it. You can, yeah. you can just download the list and look. 100%. I mean, leave it up to two marketers to put the CTA as the name of the company. I love it. <laughs> I'm a little jealous. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the bigger service that you offer? Because that is... So simple, and yet, as we both know, a lot of times the most simple things like flossing become something that's like, eh, I don't know, I don't feel like doing it. Um, 
there's a bigger service that you offer by working with brands. I mean, you're, you get it, you have engagements with brands that are, that are significant and meaningful. I want to talk a little bit more about what you experienced there and what kind of what you've seen inside brands. Yeah. The biggest surprise is that the people who pull us in are not advertising people. It's the people who are dealing with social media crises. So like corporate comms yes. brand, they really care about this issue. And so what we realized is that a lot of our engagement is actually diplomacy, like getting people from across departments in the room so that we can exercise brand and understand brand from an advertising point of view, because that conversation, ironically, has been completely lost within digital advertising. So we talk about that and then we put together brand safety guidelines and that's like a document it's a working document that they can share down the media supply chain. But then what we realized, which also was really surprising, is that all of our work was actually paving the way for a brand safety manager. Like people started working with us in order to lay the groundwork to make an educated decision about who to hire to be a brand safety specialist. Based on the guidelines and based on the environment in their organization? They just... I mean, the big question is where do you, where do you put brand safety? Mm -hmm. Like who, who should be uh, funding the, the role or the, the job? Who should be in charge of it? Who do they report to? Is it, is it a corporate comms thing? Is it an advertising thing? Brand yeah. marketing? Like, what is it? So what we're doing is working with our clients to help them write job descriptions, understand the issue, know what questions to ask in the interview, like basically setting the, setting the floor to get them up over that first mountain of brand safety. Is there a, a consistent description of that role or is it really different from, from org to org? It's different because, I mean, the general description is kind of the same, but it's different because every company works completely differently. Like there are no rules for who Oh, so where it sits is different. Exactly. And so yeah. therefore some of the, some of the description based on who they report to or who reports it out. Yeah. Is it a single person in most cases or is, is it a team or does that vary by size of media by and complexity of media? It's starting. Well, <laughs> good question. Uh, one, it, it ranges one person, one company that we know has put together a brand safety guild so that's like, they called it a guild, which I love so much. They are um, basically having conversations like as uh, an association within the company. That's interesting. Guild uh, implies craft. Yeah. So there's what's, do you know more about how they think about uh, advancing the craft of brand safety? <laughs> um, yeah, I think they're trying to evaluate all of the different brand safety vendors. They're trying to really think about brand safety from a brand perspective, not from a KPI perspective, but like from that immeasurable like brand lift. Yeah. And which is measurable, by the way. We, we, we there are yeah. ways to measure it. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, and they are they're just thinking about things in different ways. So, so they. Um, we haven't oh. actually, we haven't engaged with the brand guild yet, but they might be bringing us in for a, like a workshop at some point, which so makes probably, a lot of sense. Well, that makes a ton of sense then. Then by naming it the guild, what they're actually doing is not saying we've defined the craft. They're saying we want to hire people who will 
advance the craft of brand safety. And it's not just someone in a static role, but it's someone or a group of people that are responsible for figuring out how to improve this over time because it's not static. Exactly. Which is so true. It's incredible. Can we talk about our friend, Sebastian Gorka? Uh, If you don't call him that, we can. Uh, What do you call him? Um, A person who I don't know. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Um, last time we spoke, you hadn't, you hadn't done this work yet, but I guess there was an, uh, an announcement that you had done some detective work and figured out that there were some erroneously labeled mm-hmm. web websites that were kind of funneling money into a single, uh, provider or web publisher that was yep. almost uh, pulling the wool over marketers' eyes. So is that, am I right about my description there or is it more complicated or more simple? No, it's about that. I mean, it is kind of complicated because when you're, when you start to track where the ads go or when you're, when you find a disinformation site or a hate speech site and you are looking to figure out who is advertising on there or rather who is, um, who is platforming them, like as who is working with them as an ad exchange, then it's kind of complicated to like know what to look for. Yeah. I won't go into those details, but what we did find is that Seb Gorga, who has, uh, how do I say this? He's a neo-Nazi and has never claimed anything but in, in the public eye. He is probably universally brand unsafe. Like, Maybe there's 1% of companies that are fine with it, but other than that, it would be, um, it would be shocking to me as a marketer to have my ads on content that he writes or that he, uh, publishes. So on sebgorka.com, we realized that there were a lot of advertisers that would definitely not want to be there. And what we did is we followed the breadcrumbs to figure out that it was actually really hard to block funding from sebgorka.com. We like just published our branded newsletter about it. It's called branded, branded branded.checkmyads.org. And we wrote about it. And then I published uh, a post about it on LinkedIn. And within a couple hours, LinkedIn took it down for bullying. Well, that was the other part of the conversation I wanted to have with you was I was following the saga of because you use the word Nazi, I think was why you then LinkedIn flagged your post. And hey. <laughs> is that right? We thought that's what it was. And is we're it just not because sure. you're such a cruel, mean person? Like, I don't, what was the reason? Like name calling or what? Did you get a reason? I mean, I didn't even think it was name call. I just thought it was universally accepted that he's a, a neo-Nazi. So yeah, we, it got taken down and I, we just assumed it was that, but it, it is possible because LinkedIn works in a variety of mysterious ways. It is possible that the URL itself that we shared, like checkmyads.org um, or branded.checkmyads.org slash Seb Gorka, a Nazi is making money off ads. Um, it's possible that that URL got flagged and it's possible that anyone within Seb Gorka's posse could have reported on reported on it for bullying or more than one person. Yeah. But we have no idea. Like that's possible, but we have no idea what's going on. Uh, what I do think is ridiculous is that 
LinkedIn thinks I'm bullying a Nazi. Or I don't, <laughs> I don't know you very well, but I know you a little bit and you don't strike me as a bully. I try not to be a bully. <laughs> I really like, I just don't want there to be, I just don't want to fund hate speech with my ads. Like, is that too much to ask? Well, even if you did want to fund it, what I, what I think check my ads does is lets people make the choice. Yeah. There are there, maybe there are some brands and some people that say, I do want my money to go there. Sure. You don't, you pass no judgment on that. I mean, I, I personally pass judgment on that, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't advertise your brand or concerns no. there, but when you're helping a brand, you don't tell them what's in and out of bounds. No, we don't. That's not the point. But that's not our job. Like brands have unique brand requirements. And if they have certain goals, that's fine. But what they can't do right now is control their ad spend or their ad campaign at a reasonable level. And so what we do is we advocate for that. And what was the response to that work that you did besides, besides the weird LinkedIn flagging issue? I mean, what was the response to your newsletter and the, the detective work that you had done? You know, each newsletter gets a completely different response because either it goes big on Twitter or LinkedIn and it's like quite public or it goes like subterranean and it goes straight into the agencies and uh, ad exchanges and they're like, oh, we got to fix this. And I think about half, <laughs> half of uh, the ad exchanges that we mentioned fixed it. One in particular, I won't name them, but they said, you know, already this was um, a site that they deemed controversial, big quote marks. And so what they did is they didn't have it in the defaults, but you had to ask to be on it if you wanted to be on there. And I thought that was great. That to me is, is reasonable. I would also want there to be like a menu. Like I would want the, I would want to know what they're what is not in the default that I could be on. Right. Because I know that um, like LGBTQ media is often also in that quote unquote controversial category. Mm -hmm. But I think that kind of like opt in opt out approach is probably pretty reasonable. The big one that we got was the one before that, which is when we uh, published that, uh, <laughs> that all these ad exchanges were working with, Russian websites that had been sanctioned by the US Treasury. And the US Treasury had announced the exact domains that uh, that were sanctioned to the like to the consequence of like 20 years in prison and like heavy fines. Yeah. And all these ad exchanges were just like they just ignored it. I wanna I wanna stop there. This was <laughs> this was a public sanction announcement by the US Treasury. This was not some secret deep ops. Yeah. decision. This was like, Hey, everybody, Americans doing business in the world. Yeah. If you do business with these particular domains <laughs> listed here in this order, you'll be fined or punished by imprisonment for 20 years. Yeah. And it was like these psyops, like they're Russian websites that look like they're American websites and they're targeted in part, um, at like ex-military people. And they're left and right on the spectrum. So they're, they're not like, it's not like a political thing. It's just psyops. It's meant to divide and spread fear amongst Americans. 
And so the director of national intelligence, which who oversees, by the way, 16 agencies, I think, not a specialist here, but like the top person for intelligence in America was like, don't work with these websites. And then we found that a ton of ad agencies were. And within like six hours of us publishing, none of them were. Yeah. You were just by shining a light on it, you were able to, because, because ad agencies are not reading regular communications from the U S treasury probably, but they are enough. People are getting your newsletter or have access to Twitter that they see it and say, Oh, they're okay. This is something that relates to me. Totally. I mean, ad agencies should not be dealing with this. It should be the ad exchanges. Like Google has the resources to to keep on top of this problem. Uh, You would think you would, you would assume you would hope are they more responsive now since that story or, or is, do you think you'll, because it's hard to know what, what's a new problem or what's an old problem that you're uncovering as you're finding some of these things. So for yeah. example, the, the treasury announcement has a date on it. Mm. So, you know, when it was announced and how, how behind people were, but something like an individual who is publishing and using murky reporting and connections to funnel money to a different, group, it's hard to know how long ago that started or how easy it was for an ad exchange to notice that. So on one hand, I hear your work being very neutral, you know, going into a brand and just teaching them, this is what the menu looks like, choose for yourself. But on the other hand, sounds like some of the work you're doing is looking at, looking at problematic media and are you prioritizing it by volume visibility influence and saying all right this is the next one to look at because it's so like breitbart was the first one that sleeping giants worked on Mm -hmm. and are you just moving down a list and saying well let's look at this one and see if there's any (laughs) tentacles that it has or is it just sort of what you stumble on and in your work and realize like oh we have to report on this yeah i wish we were that organized. You know, we thought like, oh, okay, we'll put this out every two weeks. We'll put this major newsletter out. It'll take like three full days of work. It's going to be free. We're going to do a ton of research in the weeks ahead. And hopefully we'll come up with a story every two weeks, like hopefully. And it turns out there's so many egregious stories (laughs) within this brand safety world that, that we now have a backlog. And Basically, we put them out based on a number of things like how how almost done is the story? How much more research do we have to work with? What are the like what are the journalists we have to work with on this? Who do we have to let them know if like if they're invested in this company or if they're funding this thing? Like we have to give people a heads up. So um, it really I mean a variety of factors go into our publishing schedule, um, including vacation, which is gonna be in a couple of weeks, we're going on vacation. We're just like, no, no branded then. I like this. I like <laughs> that you're taking a vacation. You should. The, the, so the work you're doing is both, it's a service to brands. It's a service to companies that are trying to do the right thing, but it's also a public service in a way that you're trying to illuminate and make it clear that people are, publishing with bad intention. That's not clear to everybody. People in my own family will ask me, hey, haven't you seen this thing on Facebook? 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but Facebook's not a publisher. There's no editor. There's no, they stand by nothing. It's, they're just a receptacle. So what are, what you're reading came from somewhere else. Where was that? And they don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, at some point, I don't think it's a secret, but it's, it's not well known that we are, we are putting out a podcast hopefully sometime this year. And that will bring this story in a much more dramatic and fun way to engaging way for all those, like for all the non ad tech folks, uh, that'll bring it to the public and will help the public hopefully understand the issue of ad funded disinformation a lot better. Awesome. But I know I'm so excited. We're in the writing phase and it's going really well, but, uh, yeah, that's not like, that's not really our focus right now. We have to advocate as marketers on behalf of marketers to the ad tech world for better controls. And how do we do that? We just have to publish these stories and say, like, look at all the ways that you are not allowing us to control our ads. Because if we could, if we did have insight and control over them, none of this would be a problem. How easy is the ad tech world to work with? And, and I know when I say the ad tech world, that's already lumping together a huge collection of industries, even not just companies or individuals, but whole industries get lumped up into that. So maybe the ad exchanges are the place to start, or you tell me where's a better place to start, but is it just 100% impenetrable or are, are there, are they looking for this help or are they pushing you back and saying, Hey, stay out of this? Uh, the stay out of it comes up every once in a while. There's like two or three people who are just like, all right, sit down girls. Yeah. To which we say no. But, <laughs> uh, Thank you. We'll stand. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people in the ad tech world are either public or private supporters of our work. And we are very, very grateful for those people. They will DM us when they, see that there's an issue that we should know about. They will help us research different options for, uh, for figuring out solutions to problems or to figure out what the hell is going on in certain places. Uh, we have a large, uh, I would say, I don't know, like group of friends who are ad tech centric, who understand the technology side really well, who will check in with us about all kinds of things. And they work at large ad exchanges. They work at brand safety tech companies. They work within the, all the companies that we are publicly criticizing because they know. Should they be doing this work on their own? I mean, or is it too big for anybody to claim? Who am I to say what someone should do with their career? I I'm young. I don't have like kids or a mortgage. I don't like, if I go bankrupt, no one else is going hungry. It's just me. Whereas other folks like, you know, everyone's in their own life situation. I would appreciate some more people standing up within ad tech companies to say, I'm uncomfortable with the direction of this product um, or with our marketing tactics or whatever. But, you know, I see a lot of courageous people reaching out to us privately and that's, that's really wonderful. And you know where the real leaders are right now within the brand companies that we work with those clients, those are like, they're marketing leaders who are like, we need to check our ads 
And the diplomacy that is uh, wrapped up in that one statement yes. takes a lot of guts and a lot of leadership. So speak to that a little bit. What, what is it about that, that simple, that thing that sounds really simple, mm-hmm. but if for anybody who has been inside a matrix organization is probably getting, getting that feeling in their back where they go, Oh yeah, this is going to be a series of conversations and meetings that I really don't want to think about. Just to check the ads, you need to say, say a corporate comms person. Okay. Say it's me in corporate comms in a company. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm really dealing with a lot of social media crises that are all coming from the advertising department, but I don't want to flame out the advertising department, especially not to the executive. It's like, how do you navigate fixing a problem that someone else created that probably is even an external problem? Like it could be created at the ad agency level, at the ad exchange level, at the brand safety tech level. Like you have to understand what is going on without sounding accusatory, without sounding like you're auditing people um, or giving them evaluations. And to pull everyone into the room with the blessing of the executive or with management actually takes a great deal of effort. So the leaders that we work with are adept at that. They are, um, they are generally very well trusted and they're very good at their jobs. And I am in awe of, of the people who pull us in because they are not doing a thing that is easy. No, it's a big, it's a simple thing, but that it's a, the first domino for a lot of other effort and a lot of other work that they have to do to enact any change based on what they find when they check the ads. Totally. And I'm just talking about internally, like to the company, let alone when you ask the agency, Hey, can I get a site list? The agency's like, wait, what? Why? Yeah. And right. oftentimes, the alarm bells that go off there is probably yeah. a whole different we just had, We just had one client, they, they got a response back and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Here's a sample. <laughs> it was, it was 10, it was the top 10 websites, you know, it was That's just right. like Buzzfeed, CNN, <laughs> no problem. Everything's fine. You're on ESPN.com. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you want to go a little deeper than that. It's going to be an awkward conversation when they get there. Yeah. yeah. Not good. How but can, you know, what's the, what's the best way for people to help? Okay. Great question. Um, we will be announcing some big changes within check my ad soon. Ooh. <laughs> there will be opportunities to help us both on the advocacy side and on the client side. Uh, we probably the best thing right now will announce everything through the newsletter. So if you are interested in brand safety in stopping election disinformation and stopping the funding of hate speech and disinformation in general, making society a safer place with a pragmatic, simple focused way, please visit us at branded.checkmyads.org and just sign up for the newsletter because that's when you can find out all the things that we're about to launch and about to be up to. Great. I yeah. will link to that obviously in this, uh, in this episode, but uh, Claire, it was great to talk to you again. Thank you, Adam. It's wonderful to talk to you. I mean, it's you are, good. you're a bit of a bully. I will admit that LinkedIn and I agree that you're, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're very mean is what it is. I guess. You're like a rattlesnake, Claire. What's going on?
listen, if you're, (laughs) (laughs) if you're talking, if you're talking the Nazi talk, I'm not going to be friendly. Okay. Fair enough. Forewarned is forewarned. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think people people think people can find you at checkmyads.org. I think we've made that part clear. Anywhere else you'd like people to find you? I mean, all right. Twitter is Twitter is where we hang out. So cat the kin on Twitter, C A T H E K I N. And, uh, and Nandoodles is, is my business partner. Nandoodles on Twitter is much more interesting. She like brings the drama. Uh, it, it is a joy watching her work. I recommend following her for her for some entertainment and me for like pragmatic, earnest marketing sense. And bullying from time to time. And some really mean bullying. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Claire. Thank you. Great to talk to you again. (laughs) Thanks, Adam. Talk to you later. Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Kierno. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps. If someone shared this with you and you're just not sure where you could find it, you can go to specific.substack.com and sign up there to get episodes before everybody else. For more information about me, Adam Pierno, you can go to adampierno.com. There's information about my books, my speaking, and my strategy work. Have an idea for a guest? Send it my way. Just go to adampierno.com and you'll find a form there that will help you connect. Thanks for listening.